This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. We were reminiscing before the break. I say reminiscing, I was making a botched job of reminiscing about Lewis Hamilton's first world title in Formula One back in 2008. You were telling us, Rob, he won it by a solitary point I think it's a solitary point over Felipe Massa it was Felipe Massa who he beat to it one man who will know the dates the times he'll know all the details to this it is Damien Reid F1 correspondent F1 of course journalist as well and he joins us live on the line now Damo good evening Good evening, fellas. Right then, let's start right there. Remind us, I want to take you back 12 years, Lewis Hamilton's first world title. It was decided, was it Interlagos in Sao Paulo? Yes, it was. What an what a unbelievable race that was. Uh, it was in the rain at Interlagos, the Brazilian Grand Prix, and uh, he won it um, after the chequered flag. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was uh, Felipe Massa in the Ferrari. It was down to those two guys for the title. And uh, Massa had qualified on pole position. It's his home Grand Prix. He had a special Brazilian uh, livery for his car and his suit, and his family were there. Uh, he won the race in atrocious conditions in the rain. And uh, he needed Lewis to finish uh, fifth or worse for him to get the chance to, to get the title. And Lewis was, was seventh on the last lap. He passed, I uh, forget who it was, for sixth. And uh, Timo Glock in the Toyota was about eight seconds in front of him with, with four corners to go. So it was all done. Everyone's like, yep, it's Masters, it's Ferraris. And uh, Timo's tyres went off and he, 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 he missed the corner. And um, Hamilton came through on the last corner wow. and, and finished fifth, won the title by a single point. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the famous footage of the, of the Ferrari camp jumping up and down, his father celebrating, his brother celebrating, and someone tapping him on the shoulder so politely saying, guys, he just lost it again oh. in, in the space of about four seconds. My goodness, Lewis Hamilton, that begun the journey. It did, yeah, 2008. And obviously now we sit on the brink of more history. He's made fresh history at the Eiffel Grand Prix demo on Sunday as well. And let's be honest, those wins having tied the record set by Michael Schumacher, that I think a lot of observers, a lot of commentators in Formula One thought was a pretty safe record back when it was set. Lewis Hamilton is far from done. He said he's far from done. And it's that magic number seven as well that he will also be targeting because you, you now start to think, well, how far could he stretch these numbers and these records? Well, well this is it. I mean, the guy is far from finished. And, uh, you know, to have this amount of, uh, of championships at this stage is absolutely remarkable. 90, 91 Grand Prix wins. I mean, that's... Um, we... we, we we played around with some numbers and worked out, but that's the equivalent of winning every single Grand Prix race for the past five years, which is phenomenal. Um, You know, 91 wins. Mercedes as a company, since they've come back in the modern era, have have won 101 Grand Prix. So he's won all but 10 of Mercedes races since they came back into into the championship. Which actually tells you, which as powerful as Mercedes are, actually... You know, for anyone who's arguing that it's just down to the car, well, there's your answer. It's obviously not. If he's winning nine out of ten, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people forget that Mercedes was a bit of a basket case when it came back into the category, and it was Michael Schumacher and Nico Rosberg were the first two drivers, and they were languishing in the midfield. They were they were like uh, AlphaTauri kind of thing now, and it was hard work. Hence, why Michael retired after three seasons, and it wasn't till um, yeah Lewis came back. He took a massive gamble 
people forget this, that McLaren were at the top of their game when he left and he went and took a big gamble to go to Mercedes, like Michael Schumacher did with Ferrari. Ferrari were, were underperforming when he went there. And he helped turn it around, you know, massively turned, uh, helped things turn around. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a huge uh, uh, compliment to the guy um, for the way his team leadership skills, his driving ability, uh, and the way he's built this team around him. Phenomenal yeah. effort. You've talked about that gamble demo, and I couldn't help but think about Lewis Hamilton over the course of the last 24 hours. We saw LeBron James, the king, over in the world of NBA. He won a championship, first championship since 2010 for the LA Lakers. That now has seen him win NBA championships with three different franchises. The Miami Heat, uh, Cleveland, of course, Cavaliers, and now the Lakers. And when you look at it as well, four NBA Finals MVPs, the first man to do that with three different teams. And what I'm getting at is, is Lewis at all tempted to take yet another gamble? Now that he's on to seven, could he, will he, maybe just think to himself, I've done it at McLaren, I've done it at Mercedes, still not signed that new contract that's been mooted for a few weeks. Ferrari, if I go there, I can really underline and strengthen and, and uh, I guess, put an exclamation mark against my legacy. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're absolutely on the money. Um, I, I think that could be a potential on the cards because, yeah, he's achieved everything you can do at Mercedes. Well, the only place you can go now is is, is go downhill, and Mercedes themselves are facing this issue. Do, do, they, do they stay in the sport or not? Um, because they're only going to go backwards from here on in. And and so, if you look at what again, look at what Michael Schumacher did. He took the gamble to go to to uh, to Ferrari, then took it again to go to Mercedes. Ayrton Senna did the same thing. He took the gamble to go into McLaren, and then again into Williams. Unfortunately, that didn't eventuate. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the challenge is there. These guys are hungry, and, uh, and he's, still got, he's still got probably another five, six years left in him in, in Grand Prix racing. And I think that would be, you know, he owns a couple of Ferraris. Everyone knows in sport, in, in motorsport, everyone wants to drive the red cars. doesn't matter what team you, you, you're, you're signed to. Everyone wants to have a crack at Ferrari. And, yeah, there, there's going to be some vacancies there. Um, they haven't, uh, you know, in, in time. Uh, depends on how Carlos Sainz pans out. But if Lewis Hamilton is suddenly on the market, that would be a phenomenal team to have a Hamilton-Leclerc uh, duo at Ferrari in the next uh, three years' time. Do you not think that he wants to get to eight before he makes that gamble, Damo? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh, he's, he's taking a long time to work out to, to, to sign again. And uh, he's very close with Toto Wolff. And this is, they're, they're a team, they're a package. It's sort of, again, it's like Schumacher and Ross Braun. They're very much an integrated package. And Toto hasn't decided what he's going to do yet. He's, he's bought shares in Aston Martin. We all know that. Um, he's thinking of the, the bigger picture. He's got, he's got a young family. And whether he wants to sort of step back from things. If Toto withdraws from the scene, I think that'll leave Lewis fairly at a loose end. And he may to start to, to shop around and see what else is available. No suggestion that Ferrari could get their checkbook out and say to Toto, name your price. We've been in the doldrums for so long. We've tried everything. You may just be the man if you have a golden, you know, golden handcuff deal or agreement with Lewis. There's no suggestion of that, is there? 
Uh, no, not yet. And, and to be honest, I, mean, I obviously don't know the, the ins and outs of their contracts, but to be honest, I think there'll be a pretty heavy gardening leave yes. clause that would stop him <laughs> from going to a major to the major competitor. Maybe Williams would take him for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, certainly not, not the primary uh, rivals. Just quickly, Damo, uh, moving closer to home, we're reading the, that Saudi Arabia is pushing forward with plans. I know you've got a little bit of insight on this to host a race, maybe even next year. Is that something that would be an imminent announcement? Yeah, I think that's going to come up fairly soon. It's going to be announced fairly soon. They're, they're building a circuit at the moment um, that, that they, they've got their eye on for 2023. And it's a circuit that's designed by Alex Verts, the former driver who's now into circuit designing. He flew in Romain Grosjean a few weeks ago to have a look at it. Uh, he's got Romain to, to, to do some laps on the sim, give, give some feedback and that sort of thing. Now, the thing is, is because Brazil hasn't, they're, they're meant to switch to Rio and they've missed their deadlines with, with Rio. Interlagos, the contract has expired. So there's a hole in the calendar. And uh, they've quickly come through and said, look, I know our circuit's not ready till 23, but we can do a street circuit in Jeddah um, around around the, the tourism district uh, that, they, that they're building at the moment. Now, um, Prince Abdulaziz bin Turkey, is the, who's the sports minister, is uh, is is also his his hobby is motor racing. He's competed at Le Mans. He's compete, He's won the Dubai 24-hour GT race here. He's a Porsche Cup competitor, and he's helped bring motorsport on into the kingdom through the Dakar Rally, through Formula E. And he's making that a, a, a cornerstone of Saudi's Vision 2030, you know, reformation program. Um, and I think, yeah, for sure, I think to, to cut it short, for sure, I think we're going to see a street race for next for the next two years until the circuit is ready in 23, and then it'll go on to uh, to, to the dedicated circuit that's Watch being built by Verts. This space, exciting times for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And very last one from us, Demo. Also Bahrain. I know they're hosting two races back end of this truncated season, but it might not be long before we see Bahrain again front and centre. They're about to usurp your beloved Australia. Yeah, that, that's, that's the word I'm hearing, um, largely because of uh, the whole COVID situation. We're not sure. You know, Victoria, that hosts the, the, the state where the race is held in Australia, is, is in a very serious uh, level four lockdown at the moment. Uh, they're moving the AFL grand final outside the state for the first time. There's still no confirmation as to whether they, can, they could run it in March. They could maybe run it a bit later. In the meantime, the Bahrain is looking at doing pre-season testing, and they're th- th- talking about, well, let's leave the equipment there and we can do the first race. They've done it before when Australia held the Commonwealth Games. They, they swapped around. And, uh, and, and I'm hearing, yeah, I'm hearing some, some very strong vibes that, that we might, um, as, as also as reward, because Bahrain offered the track for two mm-hmm. races when, when they were looking around, that they could actually go back and kick the season off there, uh, probably, uh, probably around the 14th or 21st of March, roughly. So the Middle East becoming an important pillar in the world of Formula One. Listen, Damo, thank you so much, as always, for sparing a bit of time to chat to us this evening. We'll we'll let you go, and we look forward to catching up with you very soon. Always a pleasure, guys, always. Yeah, top man, Damo. And by the way, as well, congratulations. Lovely to hear your voice back. NBC Action, the only place to catch all the Formula One races across the globe. Damo's back in the commentary box, knocking it out the park. Well done on that front as well, Damo. No, thanks very much, guys. We're, we're there for every race from here on in. So, uh, yeah, it's good to, be, good to be back. This is Off Script Extra Time with Chris and Robbie on Dubai Eye 103.8. Join the conversation. We switch tack a little bit. We talk all things golf now because uh, well, it's a big golfing event on the horizon. Yeah, right here in and Dubai. It's, it's interesting because, as we recall, the Amiga Dubai Desert Classic earlier this year, probably one of the last events that was non-affected yeah. by the pandemic. And... 
Well, they've only gone and managed to stage the Amiga Dubai Moonlight Classic. It's going to take place on November the 4th to the 6th. 56 players will be competing at the Faldo course at Emirates Golf Club. It's a $285,000 prize fund. And we've got quite a few major major winners, uh, some Solheim Cup stars, some former world number ones will be competing. And we're looking forward to hearing all about it. We're going to be joined now live on the line by the Executive Tournament Director for the Amiga Dubai Moonlight Classic and the Dubai desert classic for that matter is mr simon corkill and simon we say a very good evening to you evening robbie how are you doing hi chris hi simon we're really good simon and i mean we've seen the cancellation of so many events this year both locally and abroad you guys have managed to kind of to to dodge it on both ends if you like and you've actually managed to pull this off and i'm sure it's been a complicated process i'm sure it's been numerous headaches how how complex has it been in fact to ensure that the amiga dubai moonlight classic will be going ahead in 2020 uh it's certainly been a a a tricky a tricky few months uh robbie um for everyone um but we've we've been working on this for for a long time um we obviously uh in after the Desert Classic in, in January, we got wind of obviously what was, was ahead of us really from a, a pandemic point of view. And we, we started planning um, for our, this event then. Uh, and it's, we've been working very closely with uh, our friends at the Ladies European Tour, the European Tour, uh, the RNA, uh, our friends at IMG. And uh, we've, we've worked very closely with them and their medical officers. There's a gentleman called Dr. Andrew Murray, uh, from the, who's the European Tour Chief Medical Officer, and Dr. Danny Glover from the Ladies European Tour. And we've been working for months now to, to make sure we have the correct protocols in place to make sure we can run a, a safe event. Um, and it, it's a big achievement. Um, one, one great thing for, for us as a, as, a, as a city and an emirate is Dubai is open, uh, and, and it is uh, relatively easy to get the players in. Uh, where other countries, it's it's more of a challenge. Yeah, no I in team listening to all of that. Simon, a lot of stakeholders coming to the party, a lot of you working diligently to ensure the, hopefully, and I'm sure it will be, the, the safe passing of the Omega Dubai Moonlight Classic. In terms of some of those challenges, give us a kind of insight into what was the biggest challenge? Was it convincing the players that all is all right? Was it convincing the powers that be here that you can pass this without incident? What was the thing keeping you up most at night? Um, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a big process. We've, we've had fantastic support from uh, uh, Dubai Sports Council and the Committee of Supreme Crisis and Disaster Management, and we're very thankful for their support. Without their support and their belief in, in us, uh, we wouldn't be doing this. And, and we've, we've uh, submitted very comprehensive and robust plans to make sure we can run the event safely. Uh, so that, that's one side of things. Um, it's the ever-changing climate of, of what's happening with the pandemic that is is, is tricky for us. Uh, it's, it's borders potentially closing around Europe. Um, we're obviously monitoring what happens in Europe at the moment. It, it's, it, it, it changes every day, and that, that's the thing that keeps us up at, at night. But, but we're, we're very confident that we've got everything in place for when the players arrive, that we've got a very safe environment for them to play in and an enjoyable and unique environment. They're, they're playing under... Floodlights. It's the the only day night event on the on the whole global tours, men's and ladies. So it's a very unique concept that we have. 
and we're very excited to, to welcome a, such a fantastic field. Yeah, so let's talk about that field if we can, Simon. I mean, we've seen in various guises this tournament over the years, depending on what time of the year it's been played. Annika Sorenstam won, I think, the first two showings of the Ladies Classic back when it was played on the Majlis Golf Course. Shan Shan Feng, she has been a superstar who's won it multiple times as well. And there's some new faces in the field. It must have been, again, one of the challenges that you faced to ensure that, that the field would be really top quality. And you've managed to, uh, you've managed to secure the, the, the presence of some former major champions, some, some Solheim Cup stars as well, and uh, a former Women's British Open champion as well, and former world number one, Lydia Ko, will be joining us this year. Talk to us a little bit about the field, if you can. Yeah, it's very important. Um, we Dubai expects the best, and hopefully we can d- deliver the, the best. And, and having Lydia... Uh, Co joined the field is is amazing for us. She's she's a two time major winner. She's won twenty six times around the world and was the youngest world number one I think at, at age seventeen. And uh, she she's looking forward to to playing in the event. Um, Minji Lee uh, is world number nine, uh, a very exciting talent, twenty uh, four year old who's already had eight victories on the LPGA tour and the and the other tours around the world. So so they're key players from the, from the LPGA. And, and the fact that uh, the LPGA events have, have unfortunately been cancelled uh, over in Asia has helped us a little bit. We've also got the, the cream of, of uh, European golf with, with Charlie Hull, who's the world uh, number 27. And you mentioned uh, a major winner, Georgia Hall, uh, who won the Women's Open a couple of years ago. Uh, and a couple of other Solheim Cup players, uh, Celine Boutier, uh, Bronte Law, and uh, we've got the, the very experienced uh, Catriona uh, Matthew, who's the Solheim Cup captain, the, the Victoria Solheim Cup captain in 2019, and also captain in 2021. So we've got a, a fantastic field. We're, we're delighted with it. Um, and there are a lot of other of the Ladies European Tour um, stars that are playing as well. Yeah, and the other exciting aspect you mentioned there, it's the first event anywhere under the floodlights for portions of it. The other exciting kind of recent addition as well as the pro-am element as well, Simon. Just give for those that perhaps aren't aware of that, I mean, that element and what that adds to the tournament in terms of what it entails and any changes to how the event will operate in this upcoming year? Yeah, so the, the pro-am element uh, was introduced last year, and, and, it, and it's, it's a, a vital element of this uh, tournament. The, the, the lady players are unbelievably um, uh, uh, gracious and, and so good with their time with, with, with uh, guests. And uh, we did it for the first time last year, and, and all the guests just loved it. And it's a two-day pro-am. One round is played in the day, and the other round is, is played on the lights. But it's actually in tournament conditions, so... The pro is is playing her her ball and and her score counts for for the whole tournament. So it's it's a real in live competition round. So uh, it, that's a unique experience in sport to actually play in the in in the event. And in terms of safety for for all the players, and I know this is uh, again a, a challenge that that is ever evolving, and it's quite a fluid one, Simon. But to ensure that this okay, it's not a bubble like we've seen in various other sports where it really is a contained environment, like Fight Island, for example, down in Abu Dhabi at the UFC. But to ensure that everyone who takes part, whether it's players, whether it's caddies, officials, how, how are you sort of setting about your kind of blueprint to make sure that, uh, that the whole thing passes off successfully from that point of view? Um, so we, we have very, very strict protocols that we've worked with all the tours that, we, that I mentioned just previously. Um, 
and and the, the players are tested regularly as are our core tournament staff. So um, from a player point of view, they will be tested before they leave. They, they have to have a PCR test to, to get into Dubai and they will then uh, fly into Dubai. They will go to the official hotel at, at uh, JA Resorts uh, and they will then be, be, begin, they'll be tested again there um, and have another test. And once they get that uh, that test is negative, they will then be allowed to access the golf course. Um, and on a continuous basis throughout the day, uh, players, officials, caddies, um, they get tested uh, in regards to health screening. Uh, and also there's, there's also symptoms checked on a, on a, on a daily basis. So uh, we make sure that every, every player, uh, caddy, official, everyone who's going to come into contact with those players is, is safe. And uh, we're, we're working very closely with, with the Ladies European Tour uh, doctors and medical team. It's nice to see as well, Simon, we're getting a lot of uh, questions and people interested in the tournament getting in touch. James has been in touch and I think I know the answer to this. Uh, did the organisers of this event consider opening the doors to spectators considering the footfall received for previous years, albeit I appreciate it's a different event this year, it is closed to spectators as we stand today? Yes, it is and, and we haven't taken that, that decision lightly. Um, but we, we looked at, at all the uh, all, all the risks uh, in regards to potentially uh, uh, patrons coming in and watching. But but really, it, it was a lot to do with the trends around the world. Um, very few, if any, golf events have, have had spectators. Um, obviously, other sporting events around the world are starting to integrate few pockets of spectators. But it, it's probably just a little bit early, I, I think. Um, if it had been another month or so, we probably could have integrated more spectators, but it's just a little bit early. And, and across uh, golf in general, there, there are very few, if any, golf events that, that, that have spectators. The, the pros also feel safer because they know they're coming to Dubai, they'll be safely looked after, and then they'll come and play, and they don't have to worry at all about any interaction from the spectators. It is disappointing because we've got such a, such a fantastic field, but... But we've, we've got live uh, TV coverage um, on Dubai Sports Channel and also uh, across uh, globally. That's great news for the Ladies European Tour, obviously for the Amiga Dubai Moonlight Classic as well, that the golf will be played here. Professional golf will be played in 2020. We're looking forward to the Desert Classic in the early part of the next new year as well. Simon, we're going to be in touch with you, I'm sure, on a regular basis leading up to the event. So uh, make sure you get some good night's sleep. And uh, Chris and I promise not to darken your mornings with any bad rounds of golf in the future as well. Yes, we no need to talk about that, I think. Um, <laughs> no, but, certainly uh, not. Thanks Thanks for Dubai and thanks for your support, Chris and Robbie. Don't be silly, Simon. Thank you for taking the time to have that chat with us. Always great to hear from Simon. And you heard it there, fronting up. There is challenges, but hey, listen, fair play to him and his team. They've got it on. Yeah, they really have. And the Ladies European Tour as well. And the players themselves for having faith in the team here uh, for that tournament to to go ahead and and pass without incident. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.